Hello, friends, and welcome to Men Do Disney, episode number 22, listener-supported part two. My name is Pete, and joining me tonight are Matt, Radio Silence, and Tom. Hey, everybody. How are you? We're three guys who want to help you make the most of your Disney World vacation, as well as to bring some of that Disney magic into your life every day. So put on your favorite pair of Mickey ears, lower your safety harness, remain seated until the ride has come to a complete stop, and men, let's do Disney. So we are going to answer listener questions again this week. Had a pretty good response from our listeners. A lot of things that have come up that we may have not been clear on or we may have not addressed. So we're going to get to that here in just a little bit. But before we do, let's go to Tom with the news of the week. Tom, what do you got? Uh, pretty big news week for us, actually. I know we've had a few slow ones here lately, uh, so it's refreshing to be able to share some of the changes that are going on at Disney World. Uh, so we will start in Epcot. Uh, Spectacular Lab is now open. If you've listened to our previous podcast, you've heard us reference that this was coming to Epcot in um, one of the Innoventions buildings. Uh, it's opened, and and I've watched the show. I'm personally not a huge fan of it at this point. Um, tell us a, how you tell us how you really feel. You know, I try to keep it very honest with our with our listeners. It's a it's a show that's based around uh, scientific experiments, and uh, it, it's very basic things, but kids would really find them enjoyable. the The show that I watched, there were numerous malfunctions, things didn't work quite properly, and it was a little bit difficult to follow. Uh, I will say all that. The caveat there is this is a brand new show, so Disney has time to work ha- has time to work the kinks out. The particular one that I watched, there was not a huge crowd there, at least that I could see. Uh, so maybe getting that message out uh, would increase the uh, obviously the attendance, but also the the show itself because it's a very uh, the, the show hinges greatly on audience participation. So I mean, is it a good concept? I thought I, th- I think it's a good concept, and I think it could be good for for kids, but maybe because the participation level wasn't that great in the video that I watched, uh, it just didn't do it for me. So it's like a jungle cruise where nobody participates. It would that that wouldn't even ex- describe it. I mean, it'd be like going to a it'd be like going to like a pickup basketball game and nobody wants to play. <laughs> so what are you doing at the gym? I got gotcha. you. It I gotcha. I, it's something I watch when I'm there because. Multiple days in Epcot. Why not take in everything? But um, not not necessarily something that I think is the best best show that they've rolled out. So maybe they'll work on it. Maybe they'll oh, get I'm sure a little they bit will. better. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Staying in Epcot, the Flower and Garden Festival dates for 2018 have been announced. The dates are February 28th to May 28th. Now, Pete, have you ever had a chance to take this festival in? Yeah, my wife and I went to Flower and Garden, and it's. I mean, it's food and wine, but there's flowers. So okay, that's really all I got to say about it. It's food and wine. And there's some plants. I'm sure and they, I've been they do it. some cool. They do some cool stuff with with the plants, but not necessarily your cup of tea. I know. I know some people who rave about it. I mean, it's like their thing they like to go to. But food and wine is kind of my my deal at Upcut. Yep. Uh, moving right along, going over to the Mexico Pavilion, Chosa de Margarita will be a quick service restaurant. It'll be opening shortly. Is all we've heard. Uh, excuse me, they'll be serving beer, uh, margaritas, frozen margaritas, and then the food will be Mexican street food style. It's advertised that it's going to open potentially before Christmas, maybe even sooner than that. Uh, but this is exciting for me because I, I don't think the food at... The, the food at the restaurant outside is not 
super either. I mean, I've eaten there a couple of times. Actually, Matt and I ate there. That was that was the start to our journey around the world when Matt and I went and not not super impressed. Yeah, they could they could definitely use it and I love Mexican food, so I'll try any kind of Mexican food at least once. There you go. But moving over to Magic Kingdom. Uh good bit of news from Magic Kingdom. We have Stitch's Great Escape. It is it's like the present that you don't want to keep receiving for Christmas. It's open again. Thank December, God. I was worried. December 23rd through January 6th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So to me, it looks like it's kind of on that, you know, rotation of peak peak times of the year, rotating schedule of having the attraction actually open. Pretty short window, but this is it. I mean, you, you've read and I'm sure all of you have heard Disney is packed from Christmas to New Year's. Yeah, I've been there on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day before. And it's it's not fun. You you can't do anything. So all they need all the attractions that they can get during those during you know the time between Christmas and and New Year's. It's a mess. Yes. Foolish me. I thought it was finally done when they made it a character meet and greet. And I think I read there was about a twenty minute wait usually to see Stitch. So I'm like, okay, that's better than they had for the attraction. And it's you know all guests feel like they're getting something out of it. Yeah, Stitch is great escape. Still here to stay. Uh, staying in Magic Kingdom, we're going to run over to Adventureland. Pirates of the Caribbean has confirmed a refurbishment for 2018. Uh, Disney's now confirmed that Pirates of the Caribbean will be closing on February 26th of next year. Uh, and I think it will open back up like March 19th or something, so not quite a month. They're going to be changing what has turned into a controversial scene in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, yeah, the, the the buy a winch or take a winch for a bride scene. You know, this was something as a kid that never, I don't know, it never really had a big impact on me, but with political correctness being what it is now, people are offended at it, apparently, and so Disney's changing it. I don't know exactly what they're going to, if they're, you know, if the women are going to be selling something or exactly how they're going to rework it, but it will be reworked. You'll no longer be able to see the take a wench for a bride scene. So Tom, your this trip will probably be the last time you see it. We will uh we will ride it and I will point out to everyone on the boat that hey guys, take it in. This is Disney history now. <laughs> uh, for most of you here, this will be the last time you get to see this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh moving across the park, we're gonna go over to Hall of Presidents. As most of you may know, it it's actually not open yet. Might remain close to the beginning of twenty eighteen. Disney is not choosing to comment. Uh, again, if you listen to our earlier episodes, we briefly hit on this. Again, it's not a political podcast, so we don't like spending a lot of time on what could be going on here uh, or, or speculation on it, rather. But um, not open yet. Yeah, the latest word from Disney is that it will reopen sometime in 2018 and there will be some kind of brief speech from President Trump. So that's really all we know about it at this point. Uh, changing parks here. Going to go over to Hollywood Studios. This is something I'm pretty excited about. I am personally a huge fan of the Christmas season. Been to Disney World during this time frame, but haven't been in quite some time uh, during Christmas. So uh, Hollywood Studios has announced the flurry of fun. This uh, has officially kicked off at Disney's Hollywood Studios, and it kind of entails three main things. The Jingle Bell Jingle Bam, which is a projection show that can be seen on the Chinese theater, and that is nightly. You can see that. Which was which was not good last year. Let's be honest. Yeah, jing, Jingle Bell, Jingle Bam, it, it's a mixed bag on the reviews you'll hear here. Um, some people were just so gung-ho Disney that it's the best thing ever. But the vast majority of the reviews kind of fall where where Pete's opinion is, that it's not a great show. And hopefully it'll get better. I've heard that the pyrotechnics are a little bit better this year. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to the second item, the Sunset Seasons Greetings. It started November 9th, so quite recently. There were some pre-shows or soft openings almost to it. I have seen the projection show on Tower of Terror. I personally think it was incredible. I know it's different being there versus watching it online, but it was. I, I, I am still amazed at what they can do with those projections and what they can make Tower of Terror look like. So I think this will be a massive hit. Uh, this is also going to be shown nightly uh, through the holiday season. And then Frozen Sing Along, it's an attraction there. Uh, I've done it. Uh, Disney's added some new songs to this show, uh, including some from the Disney short film or the Disney short that they've done on Frozen. But the songs will be there for the holiday season. And then one more thing that, that uh, Pete and I discussed prior, the Flurry of Fun also includes, I guess, a, a festive drink, fest, festive alcoholic beverage yeah. uh, called Let It Glow. So you kind of have that frozen theme. It's a blue raspberry-flavored vodka beverage, basically. Uh, moving over to the Animal Kingdom. Uh, as When Pandora opened, uh, give everybody a recap, there was one exclusive take-home merchandise item that was pretty popular. It was the Banshee, uh, and it was sold right outside of Flight of Passage. They're an expensive toy, uh, but they had an entire adoption you know, process that you went through, and they sold extremely fast. Well, now you can adopt your Banshee online. Uh, it's $84.99. You're going to get the same banshee, the same product. It's just not the experience you would get in the park. And I know in the park now, they don't even make you go through that experience. If you would just like to skip the adoption process, pick one and rock and roll, you can do that as well. But I think you miss a lot. You know, that's like at Universal, buying a wand and not going through the, the wand experience. Yep. So and, and this banshee is the them trying to find something as clever as a wand. Absolutely, no doubt. And it's been it's been a good hit. I've uh, again I've read mixed reviews, but I think depending on the age group that wants one of these, it's pretty inter. I mean, it's fairly interactive. When you get good at controlling it, it it does look um, looks pretty good actually. So, uh, just a tidbit: if you have been or you're going, and you'd rather just go ahead and get the banshee and have it at home to play with, you can buy that online now. Moving over to some general news. We like to track this kind of stuff, so we'll share it with you. Quarter for quarter four earnings report uh, shows down a little bit of lower lower than the results Disney expected, and Hurricane Irma actually cost Disney roughly a hundred million dollars. So I think this is expected. I think that a lot of people are waiting for Toy Story Land to open. I think a lot of people are waiting for Star Wars Land to open. So of course, I think attendance at the parks is going to be down. Now, people like us maybe take advantage of that but it doesn't sound like disney's really allowing that because they're kind of pointing towards uh ticket prices being up again right they are and that's what that's what makes this interesting is disney making up their profit from just increased ticket sales assuming attendance is going to go down regardless you know they they could be they they could be because revenues are are fine at mm-hmm. Disney parks, you know, revenues are the highest they've ever been. I didn't look at the at the last quarter earnings, but I know that kind of the trend line has been, yeah, they've had fewer guests, but they've made more money off of those fewer guests. So, you know, and, and this is a trend that you can see throughout the Disney parks. They're offering more premium experiences that people are willing to pay for. So, yeah, if you can, if you can make more money with fewer 
guess why not because that leads you to fewer employees that leads you to you know fewer events that you have to plan so and a, a yeah, more I'm, enjoyable I, park experience for your guests it's not absolutely you know mm-hmm. it's not packed we've hit on this in the past but well i think that's it for the news tonight pete if you want to roll over to the main topic okay great so as i said we're going to be answering some more listener questions this week we've we've gotten a lot in since we did our last listener supported episode and so we're going to try to get through all of them tonight um so without further ado let's roll straight into the first question and this is kind of appropriate we just did an episode on the haunted mansion a couple of weeks ago for our halloween special so this question applies to that episode so Courtney asks, you guys talked a lot about the bride in your Haunted Mansion episode, but I heard a rumor that she was actually behind a lot of the murders and therefore creating the ghosts at the mansion. Can you discuss this a little bit? So yes, there there are some additional theories out there that we didn't get into in our Haunted Mansion episode, but the bride does kind of fall into a lot of those theories. So the bride is supposedly named Constance Hatchaway. And, you know, kind of the simplest way to describe her is that she was a gold digger. She married a lot of very powerful men. She did this for a variety of reasons, but the, but the main reason was to take their money. So she would marry these men and then she would behead them with her axe. And the way that she kind of got attached to the Haunted Mansion was that one of her last husbands or her last husband was one of the owners of the mansion. And Tom, I think we talked about uh, I think we talked about that owner of the mansion being Master Gracie. I don't know if he falls into this or not, but anyway, supposedly one of her final husbands was the owner of the mansion. So after she killed her last husband, she died of old age and retired to the mansion as a ghost, and actually can be seen in one of the stretching room portraits sitting on her husband's gravestone. So now this is kind of where it plays into the general theory of the Haunted Mansion. As a ghost, the bride became hostile to anyone living. And we discussed this in several of kind of the theories that we had. The the ring that's located outside in the queue, apparently that's there because she's very angry at herself for letting riders of the ride escape from her. You know, and again, this is where these these theories come into play. Supposedly she kills the rider, flings him into the graveyard, or the rider jumps out the window to escape the bride and dies. You know, there's there's a whole lot of these theories that come into play here. But, but that's basically the gist of it, is that this woman killed a ton of people with her axe. She's a ghost now. She sits up there weirdly repeating her wedding vows and kind of brandishing her axe at guests. And... You know, I kind of like this theory a little bit, and we did not hit it, hit on it in the Halloween special episode. But there are theories that align with the fact that you're actually trying to escape this mansion. And most of them agree that you are either thrown, pushed, or fall out of the attic window and die. Yeah. So a lot of it does line up. And, and I know that you were a big advocate for, hey, there's something with this bride. You know, th- th- she is showing the axe, and this, this plays into it at some point. Yeah, exactly. There's got to be some reason why this woman has an axe and is showing it to you and basically making threatening or ominous comments at you as you're going through here. But this is a, I'm glad you asked this, Courtney, because after the episode, we kind of rehashed like, man, what is it with this bride? 
And so we've done additional research and uh, Pete's dug into the knowledge he previously had on this. So appreciate the question for sure. Uh, moving on, we have another question. Ron asks, if I miss my fast pass arrival window, what happens? Do I lose my spot in the fast pass line? And does this apply as well for any dining reservations you have? Funny you should ask because we had this experience, right? We did. I'm going to give you two different answers. I'm going to give you the Disney answer that you would get if you called Disney or you read online. And then I'm going to give you our experienced answer. So Disney would probably say something along on along the lines of, Ron, you have access to change any plans through the My Disney Experience app. If you know something's not going to work for your schedule, simply sign in and adjust your plans. But that's not always possible, right? Or, or realistic because, you know, if you've got a flight of passage fast pass and you're going to be 15 minutes late, what are the chances you're going to get a fast pass 15 minutes later for flight of passage? Correct. Not going to happen. So here's our answer for it. Disney offers, in my experience, roughly a 15-minute grace period. So if you're kind of right there, but you didn't make it, you actually should still be able to scan in without having to say a word to them. Now, if you're late to a point where it's not close to your time, you probably just want to try to talk to the cast member running the fast pass entrance, explain to them what happened. It's something that was out of your control. I wouldn't be too concerned. They should make it happen. You can read online, Disney's cast member's number one job, make the guest happy. And I'm not saying, you know, throw a fit. But you should be able to calmly explain to them what happened. Got the family here. We can't get another fast pass. Maybe we've explored that option and it's, and it's not available. They have unlimited oppor- they have unlimited fast passes to put you through, and they'll either give you a paper one, or they'll just go into the app, scan you through, and you'll be good to go. Same thing, pretty much for Disney reservations. Again, I wouldn't be outrageously late because some restaurants, like Le Cellier, for example, seating is tight. But if something uncontrollable happens, a bus is late, uh, something happens when you're checking in, you go the wrong direction in the park, Disney's there to accommodate your needs. Again, this is your vacation. Disney wants you to enjoy your vacation. Anything anything past 15 minutes, maybe you have to have a discussion, but I think in most cases you should be okay. You know, and the Disney cast member that is kind of manning the fast pass station, if, if, you're, if you go through and you legitimately think that you have a right to be there they're going to let you through it's not really any skin off their back to let you in the fast pass line now sometimes people use this and and take advantage of this on, on the mendu disney trip we saw a couple of park guests who were just going through the fast pass line over and over and over again and their when their bracelet didn't scan they said oh well we had fast passes Pretty much every time they made it through, the cast member manning the fast pass check-in had changed, so they just passed them right through. I, I don't I don't agree with this. I think this is kind of a crappy thing to do, you know, because you're ultimately you're taking away from other guests' experience. But again, the cast members have pretty much unlimited power to make your trip right. This is a very simple and very easy thing that they can do to help you out. Yeah, I'd argue fast passes are, are by far the easiest easiest thing they can do to, to change your day. You you would be we all would be shocked to hear some complaints and some customer issues Disney has to handle. This one is is a breeze for them. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. Just you know, try not to be too late. Again, if you're thirty minutes late for your reservation, you are inconveniencing other guests. So make your best efforts to be there 
when your reservation is, when your fast pass reservation is, when your dinner reservation is, and, and you'll avoid this. But if you're a little bit late, it shouldn't be a problem. So our next question comes from Trevor, and he asks, what are some of the best places to consume an adult beverage at Disney World without a park ticket? Tom, I think you're probably best suited to answer this one. I'm not sure why that is, but I can take it for sure. So I kind of have a plan. I have gone to Disney multiple times and been there a couple days prior to my trip actually beginning, whether I was there for work or for, you know, just want to enjoy the the state of Florida. So here's what I typically do. I will stay at a resort or a hotel pretty close to to Disney Springs. I'm going to say downtown Disney to break a bad habit. I'll stay pretty close to Disney Springs. There's free parking in the garage that I'll drive my car to Disney Springs. And Disney Springs has a ton of, oppor- ton of opportunity to enjoy an adult beverage, to have a, a nice dinner. So I'll start there. And I'll tell you, when, when my fiance and I went last, we went to Disney Springs, grabbed a bus to the Polynesian, or the Contemporary, one of the two, hopped on the monorail loop. So we enjoyed all hotels on the monorail loop, ended at the Polynesian, on the beach with the fireworks and had a beverage while watching at that time it was wishes. So that's my recommendation. Disney has no issue. Well, they may have an issue. It's very difficult for Disney to to catch you. I guess if you're not theoretically on property at that time to, to visit the resorts and look at them and they certainly won't turn down you purchasing, you know, souvenirs, beverages, whatever it may be. So my favorite is to end the evening on the beach at Polynesian uh, sitting in one of the lounge chairs watching the fireworks because they do pump the music through at the resort and they turn the lights down low. So you have a really good view. You do have the music and it's just kind of relaxing. That would be my favorite place to consume an adult beverage at Disney without a park ticket. Even after that, like all the all the resorts have bars pretty much, right? It's almost like a bar crawl, right? You can start at Disney <laughs> yeah. Springs. You can hop over to Contemporary, have a drink, hop over to Grand Floridian, have a drink, hop over to Polynesian, have a drink. It's like a Disney bar crawl without with, a park ticket. With, with a monorail. With a monorail. That would be my recommendation. Now, I know there are some... Oh, and you know, I didn't even hit this. I've also enjoyed a beverage at the Boardwalk. Yep. There's a ton of different opportunities there. There are really good dessert places there. The atmosphere is great. I would say this is actually at night. It turns a little less kid-friendly and much more geared towards adults. Kind of a pleasure There's, island sort of vibe. Yeah, and, and Disney Springs... So it depends where, where you want. If you want to be in Disney Springs, you're going to get a lot of people who are not going to Disney at all that week. Boardwalk, you get more of the folks that are probably at Disney already enjoying the night at the Boardwalk. Uh, but we, on our Mendo Disney trip, went to the Boardwalk. Uh, my fiance and I went when we were at Disney. Uh, a very fun resort. ton of different opportunities. So long-winded answer for you, Trevor. And you got showed up by the boat driver at the Boardwalk, right? I, you, she didn't let me drive the boat. I could have showed but her a thing she was, about how to drive it. She was a lot better boat driver than you were. She's one of the best boat drivers I've ever seen. It was incredible. It and really she told was. me. I mean, we stayed on like four extra stops just to see her turn, like make that turn. We did. So if we've never shared this, I'll go ahead and share it. We, we were riding the boat from Hollywood Studios to the boardwalk. And our boat driver was incredibly talented at docking this boat. We were cheering for her. We cheered every time, and she overheard our conversation of my, my my buddies asking, is she a better boat driver than you? Before I could even answer it, she leaned back and explained, yes, she was, and that Disney only hires the best of the best. And I obviously am not a boat driver at Disney, so I can't be the best. 
And so she uh, she took me to school on how to drive a boat. It's pretty impressive. Anyway, so, moving, <laughs> moving on, moving move on. to the next question. Uh, Matt asks, and no, not the fanboy Matt, how do you guys always get reservations to be our guest? I'm going to Disney World in March, and I've had no luck with the reservation there yet. What am I missing? Pete, I'm going to give this one to you. You you tend to be pretty good at getting these reservations. Look, it's it's all about persistence and perseverance here. You can't give up. When my wife and I went, when we went on our Mendu Disney trip, that's all it was, was constantly checking on the My Disney Experience app, constantly checking on the web, and at random times too. So, you know, if I woke up at two o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom, I was checking the app to see if there was a reservation available. And eventually I, I had a meeting, I had a plant meeting at seven o'clock in the morning. I got there at six thirty, I checked the app and I got reservations. Keep trying, eventually you'll get in. Worst case scenario, you know, a lot of people make reservations to these restaurants. Be our guest is one of them, without any intention of going. But the good thing is that Disney does if you if you cancel less than 24 hours out of your reservation, Disney does charge you. So a lot of people will make reservations and cancel them 24 hours out. So worst case scenario, if if you're right before your trip and you still haven't gotten to be our guest reservation, check the app, you know, the morning that you go or 24 hours out from where you want that reservation to be. And chances are you're going to find a reservation because somebody will have canceled. So that's really that's really the only answer I have. There's there's no magic pill. There's no secret button. Nothing like that. It's just persistence and perseverance. Just keep checking. Yeah. So this is this would be treated fast passes would fall under the same strategy for how to make that happen. Be our guest is a tricky one. There's no other. There's no secret recipe. I mean, it's absolutely what he what he shared. It's persistency. And you may actually have, like he mentioned, better luck the closer you get to your trip uh, as people begin to cancel his reservations. And be flexible too. You know, be willing. If you really want to eat it, be our guest. You don't need to just look at one day. You need to look every day of your trip and you need to structure your trip around that restaurant. You know, if that's something that's really important to you, whatever day you can get a Be Our Guest reservation, that's the day you need to go to Magic Kingdom. So... Be be flexible. Be willing to change your plans based on when you get your dinner reservations. Tom, I think you did that with your fast pass reservations, right? I did. Pretty much, flight of passage was was going to rule our trip. How we could get flight of passage, and then and then I made a boo boo. I made a mistake. I modified a dining reservation versus making a new one, and I have put us in a pickle with one of our preferred restaurants. But you know what? You'll get it back. I think you're fine. We'll keep plugging I mean, away. You got coral reef, right? Oh, I got Coral Reef. I have Flight of Passage. I have Frozen. I mean, we, we did it. We did well with ride attractions and restaurants. So just keep trying. You'll get it. Try a lot. Try a couple times a day. Don't get frustrated. Just keep doing it. Next question. Uh, Terry asks, it seems like you need your phone an awful lot for things at Disney World. How do you guys keep a full battery charge without going back to your room to charge up? I, I mean, we've talked about this before, right? Like the the fuel rods stations we that are located. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Disney sells these in the park. They're $30 a piece. You can swap it out anytime. There's multiple stations at you know all the parks and several of the resorts, I think, 
now, right? Mm-hmm. And at Disney Springs too, I believe. And at Disney Springs. So that's an option. It's a, it's a good option because you keep this and you take it with you when you go home. You don't have to remember to charge it at night. You just swap it out every time every time that uh, your battery dies. Tom, when we went, we used battery banks basically. We used we had we each had a case, I think, that had a spare battery in it. Yeah, I mean there's tons of different options. If you if you if you catch yourself at Disney, say you're there now and you're listening to a podcast, you're on the way. You're probably at the point where you just go need to go ahead and, and purchase a fuel rod. It gets your, I'll say conservatively, almost a full battery charge. It probably does a little bit more than that, but you can swap them out anytime. Say you have four people in your party. The best advice I can give is spread out who is booking your fast passes. Even if you're using someone else's phone, say you're the dad or the mom on the trip and you know how it works, use your kids' phones. I mean, use use your spouse's phone. Don't use the same phone all day because you will toast your battery. I mean, it, it, it'll go so quickly. Uh, and the service options. is really the service is really spotty too, which drains your battery even faster. Correct. Plus, um, last time we went was when Pokemon Go was really big, so that was a that was a huge battery drain as well. Yeah, we would sometimes slip into playing Pokemon Go. A lot of Poke stops in Epcot, FYI. A lot, a lot. The other thing, and to Pete's point, the the Mofi good a good resource. My the Mofi I have, and, and the one Pete has. I mean, I get a couple, almost a couple charges. Mm-hmm. And then we brought uh, the same concept of a fuel rod. It was basically a backup battery pack that you plugged your phone into. Um, you know, our folks we traveled with had one. And and then we shared responsibilities for booking fast passes pretty much between Pete and myself on our trip. But those are all really good options. So Megan, uh, going to the next question here, Megan asks, do you guys consider the monorail a ride? And is it something that we should make a point to do on our trip? I'll I'll take this one. I'm a huge monorail guy. I love it. I think the monorail is absolutely a quote unquote free ride. One of those one of those attractions you can do without a park ticket, especially if you have little ones. The views you can see of the Magic Kingdom and of Epcot are fantastic. Unfortunately, they do not let you in the driver's cabin anymore. They used to. That was a once in a lifetime kind of deal. But you can visit so many fun resorts, especially on the monorail loop by Magic Kingdom. Those three resorts are fantastic. I think I, I'm not as doubt, big as a monorail guy. I have this. Uh, I, I just love the contemporary. I mean, I, it's I love Chef Mickey's. I love the contemporary. Hopefully, I'm going to love Ohana. I think this is a must do on any Disney trip. But we skipped it on the Mendu Disney trip. We did, and I was looking back through our trip while we were planning. The trip I'm going to go on here in a little less than three weeks, and um, and I'd mentioned that we would try to do the monorail on our Mendu Disney trip, but it was such a quick trip, and again, our we were geared towards how many rides can we ride, how many times can we get on Space Mountain, how many times can we get on Expedition Everest, kind of, and and so we did not we did not do the monorail, but I was against that. I felt the monorail would have been well worth popping out of Magic Kingdom. Hop on the monorail for a loop and then go back in. And if we had had an extra day, I guarantee you we would have done, you know, a monorail pub crawl or, or something like that. But it, it was a very short trip. So we did not ride the monorail. I completely agree. I think the monorail is something that you need to do. When my wife and I went on our trip, 
the monorail wasn't open or it was opening late or something like that. So we did not get to do it. But if you're there, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't delay my entry into the park to ride the monorail. But if you've got an early afternoon or if, if you've got just some time, yeah, definitely take the monorail. There's nothing quite like, I mean, this monorail goes through the contemporary. It goes into the lobby of the contemporary. How cool is that? It's especially, I cannot emphasize this enough if you have little ones. Oh, the little ones will love it. But do yourself a favor. Go ahead and book you a breakfast at Chef Mickey's. You're going to knock out mainly the important characters. I don't want to say they're the iconic Disney characters. And you're going to ride a, my little ones probably look at it as like a floating train through the middle of a building. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So next question. Uh, Robbie asks, how do you guys feel about the new FastPass system, which is done through the My Disney Experience app, as compared to the old paper FastPass system? And then as a second part to this question, he also asked, do you think Disney will ever do anything like Universal does where you pay for Fastlane access to the rides? This is tough for me because, and, it, and it's nostalgia, I think, more than anything. But I can remember getting those little paper FastPass tickets and those things being like gold. Anyway, to me, the, the paper FastPass system, I don't know. It was, it was a lot more exciting than the app. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking how I want to answer this. So I love the paper FastPass system right there with you. It was so exciting to race around, get the FastPass you want. You kind, it's kind of a mixed bag when you go in. It's, it's more for the spontaneous versus the mm-hmm. planners. Mm-hmm. Now, the FastPass system today is right up my alley. I am... To the nth degree with plan, I mean, I I plan everything. Yep. And so to be able to put my my trip together and understand the fast passes I've selected, what time slots I have, and then the reservations for dining, whether it's lunch or dinner that I have planned with that, it's great. I would I wouldn't go I, back to the paper fast pass system with after what we have now. I probably plan more for a trip because I'm always trying to improve everything. And I don't know, for me, that makes the days go by a little quicker because if I, example, I'm trying to get a new dining experience, I'm thinking, holy crap, (laughs) we only have less than three weeks and I don't have this dining experience pinned down yet. So it's like a countdown to the trip. And every time I improve a time, I'll text it out to the group or Pete when he he planned the Mindu Disney trip. Every fast pass he got or every time he improved, he's like, hey, look at our trip now. Look at our trip now. So... (laughs) I love the new FastPass system. I love the app, but I'm I'm a younger guy who is very familiar with technology. So that may be where where I fall on this one. But not only that, you're not in Florida. You know, you're not just deciding, hey, it's Saturday morning. We're we're going to pack up the kids and we're going to go to Disney this morning. So I th- I think that if that were the case, there's an argument there for the old paper FastPass system because. You know, you introduce some of that spontaneity in. There's not, you know, you're not competing with people who've been planning for this trip for, in your case, 60 days out for the fast passes. That being said, I I like the new system a lot more for the same reasons that you gave. I like being able to plan on my trip. I like knowing, hey, I've got these three rides that I know that I'm going to get on at these times. And I can kind of fill in the rest of the trip around that and, and not have to run to a ride to get a fast pass for it. Because when I was younger, that was exciting. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I'd rather sit on my phone and just 
plug away and make a make a fast pass reservation on my phone. I don't know. I've seen that Disney Dad walk. You, you yeah, push that's the true. kids out of the way. That's true. I've still got it. I've still got it. Um, I and then the second part of the question. Yes, speak to the second part of the question. You know, I, I, I don't think so. Right now, now if if park attendance continues to drop, maybe. But Universal is a different animal than Disney. I don't know, Tom. You've you've been to Universal and you've experienced this fast lane or whatever they call it at Universal. Like, what do you think? So, the way I would explain it, I view Universal, and it's it's probably unwarranted, but I view it almost like I view a Carowinds, a Six Flags. And so when I did Universal, it was one of those, we're going to be there for one day. How can we do everything we want to do and see it and be done with it? Almost like I'd view SeaWorld. Yes. I think that is, that's a great point is that Universal, if you buy this, you can do it in one day. You can't do Disney in one day, regardless of what fast pass access you have. or The parks are just too far apart and there's too much at all the parks to do it in one day, right? Yep. That's a very good point. I don't see Disney going to this. The only way I could, and I know Disneyland has something similar. It's probably not exactly like this. The only way I could see you doing it is if it's like a a premium deal you pay for for the entire trip. It's not just a day of, you know, just a day you pay for it. And, and I think this is something they, if Disney goes to something like this, they sell a limited amount of them. And it's and, expen- really, and it's very it's expensive. expensive. Yeah, it's expensive. I think people they people don't realize that they pay for the ability to have fast passes sixty days out and set those. You know, they're free. They're included with the trip. I don't think Disney needs to go to this. I think they're. I think they they offer enough slots for fast pass times. I think the demand is fitting for the ride. You know, you see Seven Dwarfs, Frozen, uh, Flight of Passage, Navi River Journey to a degree. All those have high demand for fast passes, and that that's. That's fair. They're they're very popular or brand new rides. You look at Haunted Mansion. You look at Pirates of the Caribbean. Great rides. You can get a fast pass for them almost all day. So I think Disney has done a really good job of time slotting these. I don't know that Disney needs this, and I don't know that I don't know that many people would pay for it. Yeah, and and not only that, but you don't get people going to Universal for seven days at a time or eight days at Correct. a time, and you know. If you, again, like we like we said, if you go to Universal, it's one day, maybe two tops. So this is another way for them to squeeze every last dollar that they can out of you. Disney incentivizes people to stay much longer, and Disney also has the attractions and the parades and the shows and everything else to keep people there for longer than than two days at a time. So I don't I don't know that they need something like this now. I'm not saying that if it makes financial sense in the future, Disney doesn't go to something like this. But I think if they do, like I said, again, it's going to be something that's exclusive and very expensive. And by exclusive, I mean there's a limited amount of it. Agree completely. Moving on to the next question. Kayla asks, my husband and I are going to be celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary at Disney World in April. We've listened to your episode about Disney for two and got some great ideas but we're still stuck on which hotel to stay at. What, in your opinion, is the most romantic hotel for couples at Disney World? Let's pretend money is no option. Well, Kayla, first and foremost, I'm jealous that money is no option. Even in a pretend world. I, 
I would have to be on the monorail loop. And I don't know that there's one of the three that stands out for me personally, contemporary, but I'm sure there's more romantic. I guess it depends how, where does your Disney love come from? Have you been one of those Disney fans for life? Because contemporary was opening day, 1970. It was one of the hotels from the beginning. So I, I do see a huge benefit to staying there. So to me, on the monorail loop, and I don't know why this is, but I don't care for the poly. So if if you're if you're going with you know if you're going with out of those three, I'm either contemporary or Grand Floridian. Grand Floridian is obviously kind of the Mac Daddy hotel, right? And if you if you're willing to pay enough money, you can get whatever you want at the Grand Floridian. But for me, my most romantic, and this could be way out of left field, but I'm going with a Savannah view at the Animal Kingdom Lodge. I almost said that. I almost said that, but it's the the inner Walt fan of me that stuck back to contemporary. Now, your transportation sucks from Animal Kingdom Lodge. Don't get me wrong. So, you know, if that's something important to you, I'm I'm going, you know, a tower room at the contemporary all day. And I think the contemporary is really your best value. If you're going to go with the deluxe resort, I think the contemporary is your best value resort. Well, if money's no option, I mean, Savannah View's not cheap. No, it's not. It's not. If But, okay, if money is no option, I'm, I'm saying Grand Floridian. Then let's do a top three. So I think we can agree a top three of Grand Floridian, yep. Animal Kingdom Lodge, contemporary. I think so, too. Now... I hate to throw the poly out to the cold like that, but I don't have, I guess, that personal connection with the poly. There are a lot of people who grew up staying at the poly and who love the poly. But I don't know. For me, it's, it's, I'm not one of those people. And I don't know why that is. I've never personally stayed at the poly. I think it, from a romantic standpoint, the Grand Floridian and Contemporary are both more romantic. And then Animal Kingdom Lodge, it's a, it's a ridiculously impressive resort. But look, I, I think that realistically, you can, you can have a romantic time at whatever Disney resort you stay at. There are good things to be said about every Disney resort. Now, I, I, you're not gonna you're not gonna have a romantic time at, at a pop pop century or an all star sports or something like that. But you know. Port Orleans Riverside could be romantic. Coronado Springs could be romantic. Caribbean Beach could be romantic when there's no construction. So I would say of, of if you're looking for romantic, avoid the value resorts, stick with a moderate or a deluxe, and you're going to be fine. And really, it's, it's a Disney trip. If you do Disney like we do Disney, you're not going to spend a whole lot of time in the room anyway, so who cares? <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's getting, getting back to, you know, how I travel and how I do Disney. It doesn't matter where I stay because I'm only in the room for like six hours a night anyway. It just depends what you're looking for. Exactly. So, but if you're looking to be pampered, if you're looking to have a truly deluxe Disney experience, I'm, I'm saying Grand Floridian. I'm contemporary. I can get there with Grand Floridian for sure. Well, moving on to our final question of the evening. Haley asks, 
you all have referenced avoiding the parks with extra magic hours. Can you expand on this? Do you want to start this one? Yeah, I'll start this one. In my experience, whatever park has extra magic hours is the busiest park that day. Hands down, without a doubt. If you go to a park with extra magic hours, you're competing with every other guest that is staying at the Disney resorts that day. That's not a small number of people. So, you know, let's say Magic Kingdom has extra magic hours. You're looking forward to getting in two or three rides before the park opens. Not going to happen. If you go straight to Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you're going to end up waiting there. Even if you hit up Peter Pan after that, you're going to end up waiting there. And then the park's open. So to me, it's a lot better use of your time to go to one of those parks that does not have extra magic hours to go in at Rope Drop and not compete with all the Disney Resort guests. I'm right there with his line of thinking. If you just think as a consumer, when you think you're getting something extra, you'll take advantage of it. If you think it's a bonus to your trip or something, a little freebie that Disney's given you, you will take advantage of it. Most folks look at extra magic hours as, oh, I have a free hour to the parks. Well, so do all the other guests at every other Disney Resort hotel, and that is, I promise you, that's what they're thinking. That's a lot of people, too. It's a ton of people, and if you look at, and this isn't just in our personal experiences, there are facts on the internet when you look at crowd calendars that point to, say it's a 1 to 10 scale, any park that usually has extra magic hours would fall in that 8 or 9 range no matter the season. I don't care if it's the first week in December, which we think is one of the best weeks to go, or the Christmas to New Year's week. Which well, is, every, everything's at a 10. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe, anyway. maybe, maybe pick, a week in, pick a week in November, pick a week in September. Extra magic hours bring extra people. That's how I look at them. I do understand that, hey, this is really cool. We could go into a park early. But so does every other person. And trust me, they think that this is what they take advantage of. That's not to say that you should avoid them if you're, if the fast passes you can get or the dining reservations that you can get line up with the extra magic hours. But I wouldn't plan your trip around extra magic hours. And if you if you are going to a park with extra magic hours, go earlier than you think you need to. You know, if if the park opens at if the park opens to the public at 9 a.m. and you can get in at 8 a.m., plan on being there at 7:30 or 7:15. Because if you're not, you're you're still going to be waiting in line. And and go ahead and one, well, to his point, if you're going to go ahead and get up for those extra magic hours, you might as well get there ridiculously early because if you get there late enough, you won't see any benefit to it, in my opinion. And do take into account the buses. When you're on Disney property, most folks do use the buses. And most folks who maybe are the early risers will be like, well, what part can we get into right now? Oh, the Magic Kingdom has an hour extra. Let's just hop in line for it. But not uh, only that, fun, fun fact, and while we're talking about the buses, if you are a guest of a Disney resort, you are allowed to park in the parking lot at any park if you have a car for free. So you don't pay parking. That can be a lot faster than trying to ride the bus. The other thing I'll say is that Uber's pretty quick. And I know that the minivans are starting to get rolled out, but Uber's pretty quick. And it's pretty nice to order an Uber, you know, when you're getting out of the shower to get there in 15 minutes. And they can drive you right to the park in a quarter of the time that it takes the buses to get there. 
so you you do have other options. Yes, Disney provides this great service in in the transportation that they provide, but there are other options. You can drive yourself. You don't have to pay for, to park if you're staying at a Disney resort, or you can take an Uber. I mean, what five dollars, six dollars for an Uber? Depending on where you're going, yeah, pretty cheap. It's pretty cheap, pretty affordable to you know, and that could potentially save you twenty five. 20, 25 minutes um, of, of, and you know, when you break down the cost of a Disney trip on a per hour basis, that's a lot, that's a lot of money, right? 30 minutes. Don't do it. Don't break it down. Cause you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll cancel the trip immediately. So I think that's all the questions that we've got. We, I'm impressed. We actually got through them in under an hour. So let's go now to Tom with the trivia question and the Disney secret of the week. So, guys, we're going to go ahead. We're going to hit the trivia question from last week. We Actually, we'll hit the secret first, trivia question from last week, give the winner, and then the trivia question of this week. So, Disney secret of the night. Have you ever wondered in the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular show how he avoids getting speared? And, yes, those are real spears. As he makes his way through the temple to retrieve the golden idol, well, Indy himself actually controls the release of the spears by stepping on square keypads, so he knows exactly when they will spring. However, if he took a wrong angle or a wrong step, he would actually be injured. So there is a great deal of skill uh, and perfection uh, that, that is in place for this performance. I think that's pretty cool. Most people think, oh, fake spears, sees them coming. This is a very, very, very well choreographed show. and the actors are actually in a bit of danger, especially on this scene. So that's our Disney secret of the night. Hitting the trivia question from last week, I'll give you the reminder and the winner. How long does the Disney Magic Band battery last? The answer is two years. Had a couple folks come in at eight years, which made me think I didn't know the right answer. But the latest data I could find referenced two years. Sandy from Nebraska is our winner. Again, as I say every week, thank you for everyone who's participating. This makes this extremely fun for us. Uh, when we go through and, and look for answers and the winner. Uh, if you want to play the game, you can tweet at us at podcast or email us at mendowww at gmail.com. Uh, on to the trivia question for this week. How many visitors did Walt Disney World average in their opening year? So how many visitors per day did Walt Disney World average in their opening year of 1971? The number may be lower than you're initially thinking. Uh, so think smaller, uh, mostly from your initial gut. But anyway, like I said, tweet us at podcast or email us at menduwww at gmail.com. So it's what, like 50-some 50, 50 million a year now, annually? It's a lot of people. 150,000 a day now? Yeah, around 150,000 people a day. Which between four parks, you know, it's not terrible. Not bad at all. All right, well, I think that's all we've got for this week. So please tune in next week for some more Disney magic. As Tom said, look for us on Twitter at MendoWDWPodcasts. If you have any suggestions, questions, comments, anything we didn't answer today, please tweet us or email us at MendoWDW at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the podcast tonight, please subscribe and leave us a review. It really does help us out. Thank you so much for listening and giving us the most valuable thing that you have, your time. We'll see you next week.